So yeah, welcome to another dope episode of Hip Hop Heads. I'm No Sage, along with Novak, as always, where we discuss our favorite hip hop moments. And we are on our quest for 50 episodes by the year end to coincide with 50 years of hip hop. So we got a special guest, my man, Liam, a musician turned data scientist with a passion for rap and rock audio production. We can see um, where this conversation takes us, but I know you know a lot about the um, the Southern, the Southern rap scene that you love and, you know, like some of your, your music education. So man just just uh just happy to have you a part of the show man yeah thanks for having me so i've known you've been in a bunch of bands and i've known that you've always like had a good ear for like music in general so i've been really dying to kind of like kind of have this um podcast discussion with you because um you know i know you're fascinated with audio production and the basic crossover you know with um the analytics and the coding and what have you so say say a word on uh I don't know, like the whole uh, the whole gearhead, the gearheadness of, of, of all that, I guess. It's a lot to unpack. Yeah. I um you know, I got my my start singing in the church choir a uh, really long time ago, back in grade school. Um always liked it because I was old, the only guy that was ever in the choir. So it was always super fun. Um, you know, from there I, uh, started playing in the school band. So, um, the only opportunity they had was, uh, show choir and they needed somebody to play, uh, bass. The first day I showed up, the drummer quit, the bass player starts playing drums. Uh, I had a bass that I had just gotten a couple, maybe a month before. And they were like, Hey, we need somebody to play bass. So start bringing your bass to school. And so I learned on <laughs> a bunch of like show tunes and stuff like that. So like my foundation is show tunes and secular music. And, uh, you know, I couldn't read music. I couldn't do any of that. So I just had to start picking it up by ear super quick. It was one of those situations where we're like, we don't have time to teach you this stuff. So figure it out as we're going along. If it sounds like it works, it works. And, um, really just kind of started going from there, uh, picked up the drums pretty quickly, um, played a little bit of guitar, but then I started playing in rock bands all throughout high school. And then when I got to college, I got into audio production because studio time's expensive. It's a, a one-time expense to buy some, some, um, you know, digi digital audio workstation. I, I started on pro tools way back in the day. And an Mbox, Mbox 2, I think it was. And, um, you know, just started making my own music, making my own records, starting to help with friends. Had a lot of friends that were doing hip hop and started getting out into what I would say is very basic um, hip hop and rap production. I was never really good at beats. I was good at putting the song together in a cohesive fashion. So, um, you know, kind of doing that mixing and mastering at the end to like make a cohesive song from a beat and some lyrics and so um that's always been really fascinating to me i love the production process and uh you know i've always thought that it was super interesting listening to some of my favorite producers and you know kind of trying to emulate what they do in taking these really basic ingredients and then kind of making a finished product that you would think of as an actual song instead of just that basic you know, sometimes you get sent like a file and it's 
just that one beat that plays for like three minutes and how do you make it something that's actually uh takes you on a journey sonically right like you have to do something with it you can't just play a beat for three minutes and, and rap over it so um i've always been super fascinated with that um you know playing music i've always been in in rock bands but i've always been a, a really big fan of like the live musical experience and so i see a lot of bands i see a lot of uh rap artists and and hip-hop shows and stuff like that and just really love it really been fascinated with it from a really young age and so it's a really big part of my life um regarding the gear i've been a gearhead since i can remember um you know love all the production tools i think nowadays you know kids have fl studio and it's all in the digital environment but i like having my hands on things i like turning knobs you know i like actually like manipulating physical objects to get sounds out and that's always been something that's really fascinating to me so have my own little keyboard collection of the really hard to find stuff that that's just for me. Um, it's kind of why I like to buy and sell gear because I can cycle through a lot of stuff and then I get to keep like the really prized pieces. And, you know, that's what I've built my studio on uh, just those like gems that I've come across that I'm like, this one's for me, you know, stays in the collection. <laughs> that's dope, man. Like I, I know you always parlayed in a lot of different instruments when we kind of talk briefly about music and I didn't realize your entry point was the bass. I don't know if it's fair to say that, but like at the beginning it, of the yeah. story, you kind of leaned into that. So sure. I don't know, like what, what is it about the bass that kind of like is sort of like the common denominator for a lot of the other like musical genres that, you know, you kind of like uh, find yourself gravitating towards. Yeah. So, I mean, I kind of live with one foot in hip hop, one foot in rock. I mean, those are absolutely my two favorites. And I'm, I'm really kind of like a student of them and they occupy such a different space within both genres for, for rock music. It's just kind of the backbone. You're doing really simple, um, baselines at the root of it. You can make them more complicated, but you know, they're holding a really, uh, specific space in rock music that's guiding the undertone of the song. Whereas it's so much more ornamental in hip hop. It's such, uh, it's kind of the thing that you're subconsciously listening to in both, but it's such a more prevalent featured instrument within hip hop. Um, whereas, you know, rock, it's just kind of this thing that like supports the guitars and supports the drums. Whereas it's, it definitely shines on its own in bass. And so it's something that always spoke to me. Um, that's kind of what I listen to when I'm listening to music. And that's kind of, when it gets deconstructed, that's to me, that's like the heart of a song. And then it's so locked into bait or drums that like, that's the foundation. And from an audio production standpoint, that's kind of where I approach different songs. It's like, first of all, you lay the foundation of what the bass and drums does, and then everything else is kind of piled on top of it. Whereas some people approach it for the piano first and then put drums on it and, you know, go from there. But to me, it's always been, you know, the interplay between the drums and the bass and that's your foundation and you build on top of that so you're basically building the, eight, the 808 and then putting everything on top of that layer pretty much yeah yeah definitely that's um when i'm playing bass i'm hearing drums in my mind mm -hmm. and so that's just automatically what happens whereas like if i'm to take it a step further if i play guitar or keys i'm hearing the bass and the drums mm -hmm. but if i'm playing drums that's like I'll hear the bass or if I'm playing bass, I'll hear the drums. But again, everything's like on top of that. So that's, um, 
that's how I build when I do uh, production. How many instruments do you play? Uh, I always said if it makes sound, uh, <laughs> you know, you can figure it out pretty quickly. I would probably not that adept at the, the woodwinds or brass winds, but um, keyboard instruments, I mean, it's, it's all a linear uh, base to me, right? That's how I approach playing synthesizer. I'm way better at one hand synth than I am two hands. So I always think of it as an extension of bass. I'm always playing those like super sub octave sine wave whenever I find a, a synthesizer that's immediately the setting that I put it to. And, you know, that's kind of where I approach it. So um, my, I play guitar a ton. I play bass probably less than I used to. Um, I play drums and then synthesizers and drum machines, but that's, that's more of in, into kind of like the, um, I would say the production more than actually like playing an instrument because there's so much programming and you have to think through it. Whereas like basically you can just do it and kind of feel your way through it. And same with drums. I, I agree with you on the drum machines. I mean, the, the weird thing about the drum machine, there's so many different brands. To me, it's always been uh, NPC. You look at the, you know, you look at some of those. I would see those at different places and I see people with certain drum kits. You know, everybody's drum kits are different or programmed a certain way. So it gets very interesting. So, you know, you're basically going into the, the heart and soul of like before you get to the MC at this point, you're going into like, how do you build, how do you, how do you inspire the MC in order to attack the track at this point? You know, which is which is a beautiful thing because a lot of people don't understand like the fact that, you know, there's you know, FL Studio, which you mentioned. It's kind of like my brother and other people are into that. I say the millennials love FL Studio because they don't have to they don't have to learn how to turn the knobs and tune things at this point. They want it self-tuned almost. Yep. I think that um yeah, I mean that's a great point. Like so an NPC is essentially a sampler, right? Like you're sampling different to different sounds and then you're constructing kits out of that. I love the ability and the flexibility the flexibility to be able to kind of craft your own thing. And I think that's something that you see with like some of these really great producers, like Timbaland has always said, like, you can make my song, but you'll never have my drums, right? Like you, you're making this own kit out of the sounds that aren't necessarily drum sounds or anything like that. Um, but I kind of like those limiting tools. FL Studio, you can do anything in the entire world. I like limitation. I like working within this box and thinking like, how do I create something with just a finite set of tools. I don't have every synth in the entire world. I have all these VSTs. You know, I have every drum program, sound machine in the world in this box. I want to be constrained in a certain fashion to be able to be creative with that. And that's my favorite thing. That's why I like analog gear so much. It's like you're kind of limited to what you have in front of you. How do I make this work versus like, how do I find the best thing in the world? I want to make this the best thing. And so there's a lot less exploration with all the different sounds. And there's a lot more depth of what you're going to explore within that. You know, I have a Behringer, what's it, the, the BR8 or BR6 or something like that. And it's an 808 um, recreation. So it's it's literally the exact same thing as an 808, but it's what $4,000 cheaper or something like that. <laughs> And I love it because there's only so many that you can get out of that. And a lot of times I'll just set up something that sounds good enough and then I'll go on to playing guitar, bass, or synth over that. And I love it because it's quick. It's easy to put together. 
but you can spend a lot of time crafting something that really sounds interesting and unique, even though it's the same sound as everybody else with an 808 has, you can make your own thing out of that. And so, so I love analog gear and I, you know, maybe I'm just that old that I'll probably never get away from it. Cause the VSTs, it's just, it feels like you have endless options. How do you come to something? How do you come to a finished product when you have literally every sound in the entire world in front of you? <laughs> I mean, those constraints make the make the best creativity sessions. You think about it, like if you compare like the Kanye approach to production compared to the analog production. I do agree. Analog sounds better because you're working what you get in order to get to somewhere, opposed to like having all these VSTs and all these different files. I'm loading this up. I got his drums. Are you write about Timberland? That's a, that's a cool point. Just but he always talks about you can buy all the hardware you want, but you can't get my you can't get my drums the way they sound in that situation. And, uh, you know, you, you know, I think about, I go back to the Fruity Loop era and everything else that was going on in Audacity. You remember that? I mean, I mean, there's, uh, it's hilarious how many tools out there. I was just talking to No Sage about this, looking at production tools. There's a hundred ways to get to where you want to go, especially even when you, when, you, when you produce a podcast. It's the same thing because if you don't have the right tools, you can make yourself sound a different way. The mics are a big killer in that situation. That the, the the you know the ad libs the the sound effects now people are starting to program those into the to the drum pads basically so you so you on a podcast you're programming different sound effects different different reactions into the drum pads or whatever it, it's pretty cool how everything's evolving but I do agree with you I really I like the analog so much better it's the reason I love um you know CDs and MP3s went back to the turntable it's the same feeling that you get from hearing things as a natural element. I think you lose a lot of the dynamic control in working in the digital environment too, right? Like you're never going to totally replicate like your hand on vinyl. You're never going to replicate your hand on a drum pad. Uh, I'm certainly never going to replicate a drumstick in my hand in the digital environment. Like there's just no way to do it. You can get close, close enough that most people couldn't hear the difference, mm -hmm. but like I would know. And that's what the, that's like the last 10% of what you can hear that makes it really great in my mind versus like good enough that you could get in the digital environment. There's just, you can't, you're never going to be able to close the gap in my mind. So I, I stick with the, uh, the synthesizers, the drum machines, the, the actual drum sets. I, there's nothing better than a real snare in my mind. So I love that you're like giving us this perspective. Cause when you were talking about earlier with the bass, kind of like sort of almost being in the background of some rock music and then in a lot of rap songs like you know it's kind of more prominent like <laughs> my my brain goes to um I was actually tinkering around with some music with one of my guys right and then we were sending different versions of the song to each other and we had different producers like putting stuff on it and then when there's one version that finally got to my guy he was like oh I noticed there's some uh, bass riffs in there right and it kind of just like I glossed over it I was like I wasn't even checking for it. But then like when I re-listened to it, I was like, oh, wow, I hear it. So it's kind of like interesting to me because like I've always approached music as the message first, but I know like everyone approaches it different ways. And there's like a lot of hidden Easter eggs depending on what you're looking for, um, for like an enriched experience. But like, I don't know, like, can you say a word about like the freestyle aspect of bass? Because I'm not sure if I'm off point here, but like sometimes I feel like the guitar is allowed to have a conversation with the song, right? And then like, I feel sometimes like the bass is almost in that like 
that jam session space too, depending on the song on, you know, like what, what it calls for. Um, yeah. So I, um, I didn't grow up with a lot of people that really liked rock or hip hop around me. So everybody that I knew loved like jam bands and jam music, which I despise. I do not like it. To me, it's lazy. It's, um, I like the creative aspect of it for sure. I'll always respect that. But like the, you know, again, without constraints, you're not sitting down and like crafting something. It's just kind of whatever comes out of your head and you just play it. Um, but if I wanted to play with musicians, I, that's what I had to play. And so all my friends, I, I jammed with them, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours with buddies, just because that was the only way that I could build up my chops. And so, um, I think it kind of, it, it was super helpful to understand pocket and to understand exactly where bass lies within certain mixes. Um, Cause I played in so many rock bands where like, you know, you could do all this like noodling stuff and make it really fancy and all that. But like, I was always like, what does the song call for? You know, what's going to be the most impactful. I played with a lot of guitar players that really love playing guitar. And so they play guitar in a song, whereas they don't play what the song probably needs in that moment. And so I think that like, when you have those little like bass riffs and like, you know, a little bit of a jam within a song, if it's done really tastefully, if it's done in the right place and you kind of constrain yourself to the rest of the song, when it hits, it hits really hard and it's really impressive. And sometimes you, you just hear this little lick and you're just like, Oh my God, that was perfect. And you didn't realize that the only real reason that it stuck out is because that bass player is super disciplined for the rest of the song. When like, Hey, I love noodling. I love, you know, slapping. I love like playing super loud and fancy throughout the entire song. But like, if you can discipline yourself to play exactly what's needed and then you have a chance to pop off at that moment where you can shine, it just lands so much more relevant and just pop so much more in a song that like i hate it i hate being super disciplined because i want a hot dog just like everybody else but you know if it's if it lands in the right spot it's so much more impactful than even you know a 10 minute guitar solo because people just it perks your ear up and it you just immediately hear it and uh you can do some really cool things in a really short amount of time but you have to lay that foundation that that comes from really disciplined bass playing of I'm only going to play the song. I'm only going to play exactly what's needed here. And then when it's my time to shine, I'm going to go for it. Who would you consider to be your, your, your favorite guitarist? If you want, if you could work with one guitar uh, guitarist right now, who would that be? Um, you know, I don't know if I have a favorite guitarist. I, I have favorite producers. I think that's what I'm much more impressed with. Hmm. Um, I think that the biggest difference between rap and rock is like the formula for making rock is pretty standard. It's, it doesn't really change that much. And there's not very many people that go into it uh, that like come on the scene and really kind of change the whole game, right? That you come in and you write some cool rock songs but it, it really kind of follows that same formula. Whereas from a production standpoint, you have producers that come on and, you know, these guys come out of nowhere and all of a sudden it's just a, an entire new culture. It's an entire new like 
they bring their own artists, they're really building out sounds and they have like this whole entire new social phenomenon that comes along with what they're doing. And I'm way more impressed with that than a guy that can play guitar fast. Cause you go on YouTube and you can see the fastest guitar players that you've ever seen who have never been on stage ever once. And then you have kind of the same situation of like these kids that will come out and produce something that just blows your mind and you've never heard anything even remotely close. And then they start working with artists and they start this kind of new wave of music that just totally changes the game. So, you know, I grew up, Timbaland has always been a, a huge favorite of mine. The Neptunes, which I think is kind mm -hmm. of, everybody loves the Neptunes now because they've been at it for so long and have loved it and, and been a part of that for so long. Um, but I mean, a good example is like, you think about like Bangladesh, you know, cutting hair mm -hmm. and comes out of nowhere in Atlanta and all of a sudden produces what's your fantasy for ludicrous. And it starts an entire career and it starts, you know, this really uh, draws a lot of attention to Southern hip hop. And then all of a sudden everybody knows who ludicrous is. And then he puts on so many other rappers. He's working with so many other people that I'm way more impressed with that than I am somebody who can play guitar fast. I mean, I can play guitar fast. I don't think it's that impressive. No, I understand. I understand. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. You said the Neptunes. I mean, their sound is like was like light years ahead. That was a, that was a whole wave by itself, and people still just catching up. You know, they you know everything was catchy. You think about um, when they first came out with Lap Dance. Lap Dance, the you know the production on that song Lap Dance is incredible. You know, it's more than just the words at that point. They're just having fun with it at that point. The production was so was so key on that lap dance on a couple other songs they had. I mean, they just, from a band perspective, they're awesome. <laughs> a lot of people sleep on the Neptunes. Well, and they come out with a lot of different stuff too, that like, you can tell it's the Neptunes, but it takes a second. Mm -hmm. But I mean, they produced, was it Toxic by Britney Spears? Yeah. I mean, and then you think about it and you're like, yeah, that is a Neptune. Like you can absolutely hear it, but you don't know until somebody says something. You're like, yeah, it's just, bubblegum pop this is great and then you go back and listen to it and you're like i hear the neptunes i cannot not hear the neptunes in it now and i love that i love the versatility um i love that with rock you kind of stick with a genre and you're stuck in a genre it's really hard to be successful in multiple rock genres with hip-hop you're allowed to do anything you know if it's done well people will celebrate it and i love that now uh, you mentioned toxic i mean that that yeah, that track, that's another one. I mean, that track is incredibly laid out. I mean, you know, you think about Chad and the rest of those guys that, you know, Frail just, Frail's there, but Chad is like, uh, you think about the Neptune, he never gets his, he never gets his due respect, to be honest with you. I love it. That was always who I admired. Mm -hmm. You know, those production guys that were like behind the scenes, they were in the studio putting things together kind of like these mad genius masterminds, but like mm -hmm. didn't need to be on a red carpet, didn't need a ton of recognition, just needed to be allowed to do their thing. You know, Pharrell can do whatever he wants, but like Chad Hugo is normally in the studio when Pharrell's on a red carpet. I like, I like that approach. I mean, you think about it, they go back as far as Rum Shaker. Remember they did the Teddy Riley Rex and Effects song. That's, that's, yeah. uh, that's the Neptunes. You think in terms of like, Everything they did for Khalees, you know, even though Khalees' career kind of went this way, they gave her they gave her the perfect, you know, step into the mainstream pretty much. And Neptunes have walked a lot of people in the, in the mainstream. You think about NSYNC. They did all the NSYNC stuff, all the Justin Timberlake stuff out there. 
And they some platinum albums at that point, platinum songs. I mean, they produce stuff for Kid Rock too, right? Like, yep. you know, how I think that's amazing that you can have this incredible lineup of super different artists in all kinds of different genres. I guess you could throw it all in the pot of pop music, but they're good at everything. And you can hear it once you know it, but they're so versatile that it's, it's so different that you wouldn't immediately recognize it. I love mm -hmm. that. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I mean, like, you know, Rob, don't forget Robin Thicke. They, they brought Robin Thicke to the mainstream, you know. You know, you look at some of the new people like Tiana Taylor, you know, that whole album. You know, one of her albums, there's some Kanye, but they're also, they also have Kanye find a little bit of his creative space in that regard. I mean, there's a lot of people that sampled the Net Neptunes at this point, which is which is incredible. And also a compliment to them as a group. <laughs> you know, speaking of Robin Thicke, uh, one of my all-time favorite production duo, duos is uh, Jimmy Jam. I'm just the hugest fan of Morris Day in the Time. Um, <laughs> I used to play in a rock band and we would, we played, we covered a few of their different songs. Um, Cause all the guys that were in the band were huge Prince fans, which I'm not my favorite, but I like him. But I was always Morris Day in the Time. And you know, that was always my favorite. And again, talk about incredible production duos like they're behind so many different hits that you would never know. Most people, they can go to the grocery store and buy their own groceries. And they have produced songs that most people could name off the top of their head and sing from top to bottom. I agree with you more at the end of the time. I remember I could make love with my clothes on. I'm like, what is this? I mean, that song is hilarious. But, you know, um, yeah, I mean, you, you think about that. You think about Vanity and the rest of that stuff. That's a lot Because Morris Day did a lot of work for Prince. And then they kind of branched off into their own situation. And, you know, one of the things I was looking at recently is you think about hip hop's evolution. So you get into musicians and people with their own instruments, Roger Troutman. So Roger Troutman creates a whole device just to synthesize his voice. And this guy is a trained musician. It's hilarious because you, you listen to it. Like I didn't appreciate, uh, because that guy is an artist and some of these other musicians until like either they're not here posthumous in this situation. You go know, like that guy was a genius. I mean, you think about like, you know, you said Morris Day. I mean, as somebody, uh, he's never gotten his flowers, to be honest with you, in terms of the production quality of that group. There's so many other artists that you, you said Jimmy Jam, and I'm like, wow. So, yeah, you're taking me down that lane right now. <laughs> They're so good. I, and I know that a lot of those guys get their chops from, you know, growing up in church, playing secular music, you know, mm -hmm. playing gospel, which, in my mind, that's where like the best musicians live. That's like, you want some of the best drummers, the best play bass players in the world. They're probably out there playing gospel somewhere. And I've heard some incredible bands that have all, all those guys have kind of started in the church, which is very interesting to me. So I just, I just love like how much you're geeking out on the production aspect of it all. Cause like, again, like, only knowing like the conversations that we've had minimally before i just i just knew you 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 dabbled on a lot of instruments you collected a lot of equipment i'm like this dude is just all about the the instruments and you know trying to like be a wizard and be a fast you know like whatever fast piano player fast guitar player i actually had a, a recital for my my sons not long ago and then there's probably like 10 or so showcases but like probably 80% of them were just like, 
like quick wizard fingers you know doing almost like the little like um magic piano right in front of me right and then like we we're trying to talk to um our oldest to say you know like don't think that you're not competing with them because like your piece was like totally different like you were hitting that pocket as you were talking about right you were hitting those emotions so like i feel like i feel like you know um it, it's another it's another comparison me and Novak talk about like basketball a lot too compared to music like you can be like catching bodies and like you know like crossing <laughs> fools over but like how much are you really contributing to the team's you know dynamic and you know doing it for the team's culture and what and whatnot right you just got you got my brain spinning on a lot of different cylinders here because I, I would have I would have just automatically assumed all the instrument folks that you played with like that's that's where you would sort of like um um, emulate or you know like like strive to be kind of like in their spaces well it gets boring after a while you know I've played with people that were mind-blowing musicians that were absolutely incredible and you know they could smoke on the fretboard and all this and that but like how many times are you going to go to a show where like you're just going to sit there and watch somebody like solo for an hour hour and a half and then that's <laughs> it because I, I want to go and see a show like Alicia Keys where she could just pause time, right? Like I want somebody to give a mind-blowing live presentation and really walk away and be like, I felt something from that versus somebody who's just playing as fast as they can for as long as they can. Like that's not entertaining to me. I want an experience. And that's why I like production too is like you can build that experience you have all this time to like craft something that's going to make people stop and listen. And that's what I love. Cause if you listen to, you know, guys soloing as fast as they can by song three on an album, you're like, yeah, I think I've heard it all. It's <laughs> not really fun for me. So, you know, say, say a word about like the live performance versus the behind the scenes production. Right. Because like, yeah. you definitely perk my ears with like Chad Hugo and that type of like mindset like you know you can kind of like spend hours behind the scenes and and you know come up with something amazing but I feel like when you just talked about the Alicia Keys experience there too it's like some of it you're cooking behind the scenes before the crowd even sees it right so like how much yep. of it are you sort of like at odds with like okay I'm in awe by something you just created off the cuff but then the crowd necessarily doesn't know how much of it is actually sort of, you know, like improv as opposed to actually cooked up, right? It's kind of like, yeah, I mean, you obviously got to read the room, but I, I feel like there's a, there's there's sort of like, um, I don't want to say at odds, but like there's like there's like a different like dynamic behind, you know, being able to do something live and like making folks like make it feel like it's sort of organic, but also like let them know like hey this is actually has been years in the making like you actually got to like sort of like understand where i'm coming from with this yeah i mean there's kind of two schools of thought in audio production where it's we can do whatever we want in this environment and we can create whatever we want and we'll figure it out later versus yeah. i have to be able to play this live right, and right. um that's kind of the difference between rap and rock music is like rap it's a lot easier Sometimes you have a full band, sometimes you're just playing to tracks and you can perform it versus a live band in rock music that's like, we have to be able to do this. I We don't want to play with backing tracks. We want to do it with four guys on the stage and or five, however many. Um, my approach has always been we need to have something we can perform. 
Um, it's been my experience of backing tracks are really hard to play to. And if you make a mistake, there's no room for error. Um, and errors happen every time. So, uh, you know, in rock music, it's so different. Um, with rap, I think that it's, you know, there's so much that you can hide in audio production with hip hop. You can have somebody that's done a million takes and you catch the, the limest one. And then, you know, that's, that's what it is. And that's good. And okay. We got something to work with. We got something we could sell. And then you get on stage and I've seen, I, I see a ton of hip hop bands and, and rap artists and I've seen a lot that fall completely flat where it's just a guy on a microphone and he can't hold anybody's attention. He's not really doing that well. He's not really keeping up with his own lyrics. Um, you know, you could tell when the song doesn't have breaths in it where they're not breathing in between takes and they haven't worked it out live on how they can keep their breath and rap at the speed they want. Um, they get winded on stage and when you're winded on stage, it's never a good thing. So I've also seen artists that have blown me away with their stage presence. Um, mystical was one as, as live Man, I've as never seen him perform. Hey, it's twice what he is on record. What? He is one of the best performers <laughs> I have ever seen in my life. And he, you know, and everybody's like, he comes on stage and you're like, man, I hope this is good. Cause how do you bring that energy on stage? Yeah, right, and right. he exploded on stage. I mean, it, <laughs> it was incredible. And it was a sight to see. I mean, that's hold. A, I saw him at Maker's uh, field house in Indianapolis, legends of Southern hip hop. And he had a stadium full of people eating out of the palm of his hand. <laughs> he was twice as lit as you would think he would be. He had twice the energy. It was unbelievable. I could not, I was just standing there in awe. And I'm like, you know, you can absolutely, anybody can go and make a record like he does and have a ton of energy and, you know, keep up with the pacing and have the breath control on the mic in the studio. But to be able to do that live and bring up the energy from what is already an incredibly energetic performance, that is skill, that is artistry. That is a star, in my opinion. It was unbelievable. It's hard to recreate that that feeling, that moment like that. I think I saw I saw Buster Rhymes like that a few times. Buster is one of those energy, one of those energy performers like that as well. And you know, I, I could agree with you on know, like mystical. I've never seen them live, but I've seen the live performances on the on YouTube and everything. It's crazy because he's on a whole nother level where it's like yep. When the MC is taking over the crowd and the crowd will go kill up an MC, and you're watching this just like he's controlling every movement of that crowd right now. Buster does it. Uh, I think Jay, Jay's demeanor is more deliberate and kind of arrow-like. He's throwing little arrows and darts out there into the crowd, but he does that. He, he's got a storyteller's personality where he, where you're in golf because you want to hear the story. So everybody gathers around the, the campsite. I think... Um, you start talking about live performances. I got a chance to see Exhibit do Paparazzi live. No say no that way. is. Oh, way. Man. Yo. Yeah, man. That's pretty years You would have been able to see that like in front of an orchestra too. But Yeah, the orchestra with him. Get out. For yes, real. Yes, man. Paparazzi. Man. Oh, my God, man. To see, to see <laughs> this, this. You know, you know what's really sweet is when, is when the musicians are more charged than the rapper. 
Now that's what's crazy. You're watching, you're watching the guy over there playing the violin, and he's he's feeling it. You see this person playing the cello over there. I mean, paparazzi live, man, was incredible. So you know, Liam, you got to be thinking about like artists I've seen where either they matched the band's energy, or the band just, or the band took over from the artist, and the artist picked up and went to another octave. Whatever. The roots are like that in person. The roots are incredible in person when, when they're on. You know, it depends. If Black Thought is feeling good that day. Oh man, I mean it, that energy is ridiculous. Everybody in that group is like on another level. They're tight. Mm-hmm. Just end of sentence. Like they've been playing together for so long. They know what everybody else is gonna do. They know if they have a half a second pause, they know who's gonna go in. They know who's doing the fill. They know what everybody else is gonna do. And so they can read each other so well. That's a organic energy that like they just are locked in. It's, they're so good. I saw last year, um, actually at a venue around here, I saw Trick Trick from Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a full gospel band, 12-piece gospel band come out what? and played all his beats with live instruments. Wow. He was right here with Mystical. It blew, oh, and I didn't even really know who he was that much. I'm yeah. fairly familiar he was the most energetic show I've ever seen with a live band. And I've seen hundreds of rock bands. It was the most energetic show I've ever seen. The band was locked in and he was an absolute showman. And he's a very skilled rapper, but he's a showman before he's a rapper. And I think that's the difference that you almost need to have to be able to capture that live energy. Is like, you gotta be able to hold a crowd. You gotta be able to read it and interact. But he was so locked in with this band, too. I mean, it, and he was talking about, like, his cousins were playing in the band. Like, he knew these guys. They're, he'd been playing with them for a really long time. And it was unbelievable. I was blown away by the performance. Yeah, he's a he's a solid artist. You know, you talk, you know, you talk in Detroit, Big Sean has the same power. I mean, it's like... Um, yeah. I've seen Big Sean. I've seen Big Sean in concert. Detroit artists, like you get into that, you get into, um, you know, it's like Detroit got a swagger about it. It's like they come on stage, you know. There's a lot of live, just gospel. Like you know, you think about Big Sean. That's a lot of gospel ad libs and Big Sean songs. You know, I remember. Um, I remember the first the first time I saw. Um, trying to think of the name of that song right now. Basically, he did live. You know, he did beware, he did beware. And when he did beware, basically, it was nice because you know, Janae, you know, you know, Janae basically, who's his um, you know, his significant other right now is on that track. And it was nice because Big Sean's got this whole vibe about him. Like he he's the he's the best artist at the show. And he's like right, you know, he's basically riding that energy wave. I mean, he's been pretty he was pretty nice in concert. I would say that um you know, uh, Freddie Gibbs, I've seen Freddie Gibbs live. Freddie Gibbs surprised the hell out of me. You know, that's an Indiana artist, as you probably already know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Freddie Gibbs' persona was was up there. I mean, I would say probably the, the best I've seen in the last couple of years, surprisingly, Wiz Khalifa. I saw Wiz Khalifa yeah. live. Wow. I don't know what he smoked that day, but he was on a whole other cloud. <laughs> you know, so I he, saw it. I was um I was on my honeymoon and Snoop was playing a festival like near where I was at and so my mm-hmm. wife and I went and he the last song that he sang was um what's the song with him and Wiz 
So what? We get drunk. So what? We get Snoop sang the first three words of that song and then put the mic down and the whole crowd sang the entire song from start to finish. And he just sat there and watched. It was, I had a buddy that was in town that went with me. So it was the three of us. And we were like, I know the song, you know the song. Did you know that everybody else knew the song like that? And it was like an <laughs> anthem. Like, that's the, like, people, I've never seen a crowd react like that where they knew every word and sang it and no musicians played. Snoop put, he stood there the whole time. He did songs after that, but he just let the crowd sing. And I've never seen that fanatical of a fan base. And that's a Wiz song. I mean, that's, that's his crowd, right? Yeah, I saw the same thing. He did that song "Roll Up." He just put the he just put, he pointed the mic at the crowd, and they fin because I didn't think Wiz had that type of following. No. Until you see you see him in concert, he just like you know that Taylor Gang, that whole like group of them. People are going crazy those days because I was like, should I know these songs? I mean, only other person like that I did get a chance to see before he passed away. We saw we saw, we got a chance to see Nip. Now Nipsey. Honestly, I mean, Nipsey's one of those artists that we never got to see fully mature and become no. what he what he should have been. Right. That dude's stage presence is like it's like watching like you know Ozzy Osbourne come out like back in the day. He didn't bite the head off the bat, but he damn near did it on stage. Uh, you know, um, you know, it's kind of like there's some artists that their 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 presence is like I won't say it's like a it's like an aura that goes over the crowd. And you see him control it basically. I mean, I think he's like that. Well, Nip was like, I mean, Nip had that energy. I mean, you know, Wiz was like that and, and concert pretty nice. I would say I've seen two short live, two short has that, that that mentality. I saw yep. blow the whistle live. Oh my God. Yep. I saw grandmas in there blowing the whistle. Yeah. I'm like, is that somebody's grandma in the corner blowing the whistle? Yeah. Everybody, <laughs> you know, he said, What's my favorite word? He stuck the mic out. And you you see like these, you see like these old ladies, they're like, bitch. I'm like, no. You can feel it in your feet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I saw um, yeah. when they went to USC Pavilion. I saw Mount Westmore. Oh, how was that? It uh, top three concerts of my life. So my wife and I, the average age there was honestly was probably like mid to late forties, mm-hmm. um, which made me feel really young being there, which was nice. But <laughs> my wife and I were talking about it. And I'm like, you know, who's going to go first? Who's going to open up? Who's going to headline? The lights go down and four chairs come up from the bottom of the stage and they all came out at the same time and they're all going they'll do like two songs and then somebody else will be like all right let me get some and they'll go and do a couple songs they'll do some songs together two shorts always my favorite um you know how many albums does he have now he's a 20 something pretty close to 20 he's one of those guys that if he worked at a gas station he'd still be putting out albums he just loves it for the sport he loves the the game of rapping, doing shows. You know, he's just one of those guys that like loves it, and it's his life. I don't know that he would do it just for fame or money. He really loves the sport of it, and uh, that was another one where like everybody knew every word, and it wasn't just the hits. People knew the deep cuts. People were you know singing stuff almost as old as me. And knowing every single word, and you could see it in the entire crowd. I mean, E40 kind of the same, but Too Short is a lot more like party anthem kind of stuff, and people just love it so much. But yeah, what's my favorite word? You could feel it in your feet when everybody said it. 
It was so cool. I mean, it was one of my absolute favorite. And it, for me, Ice Cube, I think, is like one of those rappers that I don't, as famous as he is, I don't think he gets the credit that he does. Westside Connection is one of my absolute favorite mm-hmm. groups of all time. That was such an incredible album. Being part of NWA, those two things by itself, you should automatically be Hall of Fame status. But then you think about so many other things that he's involved in that it it's just he's so deep in it that, you know, I still don't think he's ever going to get all the acknowledgement that he needs for all the things that he's done because, you know, he's done an incredible amount. Um, and he's only celebrated in a couple different fashions. I think he's one of the best rappers of all time. I, I can read you on that. That West Side Connection album, that intro, when they introduced the gangster, the drug dealer. <laughs> There's a threat in the world today. today. <laughs> I, man, my, uh, my 11-year-old heard that intro accidentally in the car, and I was trying to turn it off. And she was like, Daddy, is that what it used to sound like? I'm like, what do you mean it used to sound like? So I let her hear the intro to that, man. And Leah, man, she was in the car like, now she's walking around with this English accent the whole entire day. <laughs> I'm like, stop, stop talking to me like that, daddy. <laughs> but yeah, that, that was like a connection album, man. That, the dog pound, you think about dog pound or whatever, uh, you think about, uh, I mean, they were, you know, music, music today, the problem is, you know, you think about Little Uzi drops that one track, right? It has no words. You know, I Want to Rock has no freaking words. Yep. But you got a bunch of 11, 12, and 20-year-olds basically walking around here having seizures. And you, yep. you, it's, the, it's the same phenomenon to like how we look at hip, how we look at hip-hop today when somebody actually had bars or some or two shirts said, what's my favorite word? You're like, I, I try to get the same message from an Uzi or somebody like that. You know, I, I'll listen to it with my kid. Because, you know, she was saying, Uzi, Uzi is like Dr. Dre for us. I'm like, Uzi's not Dr. Dre. Uzi is an artist. <laughs> you know? You're going to <laughs> Yeah, it's way there. different. Yeah. Yeah, I've you know I'm I'm married to the album, right? I'm married to the record. That's always been a single vision, uh, spanning over songs, kind of giving direction to an idea. Like that's that's what I like about rock and rap. That rap is very much going towards the way of the single or the small EP. You know, you drop a couple songs, but I like the single vision. I like the the collection of songs that have kind of that same idea, which I don't think we really have very much anymore in uh rap and hip-hop or at least that's the way that it's going because so much easier to make music that way right right you you think about digital underground i started listening to them again recently you know shock g and you know everybody over there at me uh freaks in the industry that song i didn't realize the 808 on that strong is so soft so strong whatever basically because like you know you're a kid you don't write you don't have great headphones you might not have the right sub in your house or, you know, or if you start playing with audios, you probably already know. You're swapping out this gear. It's almost like you start off with, like, some, you know, as your speaker game changes, your cabling changes, the way the song changes in your house, your car, whatever, dramatically just picks up, whatever. I mean, it's almost like um, you think about Coolio, right? So a lot of people always say that uh, Fantastic Voyage wasn't a great song. That song today on the right headset is incredible. Even though it's a sample, but it's a beautiful sample at that point in time. Yeah, I mean, Liam, like you just got my head spinning and <laughs> I just love like that 
you know, you approach a lot of the music in terms of the record and the album and also the live performance too, right? Because it's kind of like, I feel like the closeted musician that is kind of like a mad genius can sometimes almost forget that, you know, like an album or a song can be performed live or should be. And, you know, like it should be like about the presentation as you as you put it earlier. So like, it, it, it's, it's really dope to hear kind of like your, your perspective on all this because I know like, you you're your school of mm -hmm. music, but or you know, student of music rather, and you know, you also approach it as um as all at all from all different angles, you know. I mean, like not not any angle should be left alone, should be left left aside from a fan standpoint or even like, you know, from a from an engineer standpoint for that matter. We gotta approach it from the fan standpoint, right? You gotta look at it from the consumer standpoint, right? Who's gonna go to the show? Who's going to listen to the music? Who's going to buy the ticket? Who's going to buy the t-shirt? That's really what I'm thinking about in all those aspects of what's that total package that you're presenting as an artist, as a musician. Um, you can't forget about any of it, right? You have to keep it all in mind. Uh, that total package is everything. Some people don't have that total package because a lot, a, lot, a lot of these newer artists are studio, if you think about it. Or you make a song you can't you can't perform live you know like um i've seen drake live and i'll tell you what i, I like drake's music that isn't live better than him seeing him live which is kind of yeah. it's kind of unfair to say to be honest with you because his the studio production and what they do ovo does is incredible but if you go see them live it's a different experience i i saw that with my, i saw that live and i was like Okay, okay. Am I missing something here? Like I didn't get that same jolt I get for seeing Wu Tang live, or or get for seeing um, Jay Z you know, perform live, or hear or, or seeing like uh, or seeing like the Locks or something like, like that live. You know, because you know when they drop the baseline on uh, we gonna make it or something like that live, it, it's incredible to hear that thing drop inside of a stadium. Did you see him at the UC? Mm hmm. I, did. I saw that show with Amigos. Mm-hmm. Flying Ferrari. Oh man. You know I what? got a picture. I got a video of the Ferrari right in front of me because I was in like the 300 level. <laughs> Unbelievable. Migos killed it in that show. They're my one of my absolute favorite, but I got the same thing with Drake where I'm like, yeah, this is good, but put Migos back on. That's, they that's killed it. You probably got the same vibe. You probably got the same vibe from that kind of. That's the same vibe I got. I was like, okay, because I'm standing there looking at him like, there's because there's more to this. But yep. you're right, Migos. When they, you know, when they did, when they did Bad and Bougie, I was like, oh my god, that song. It was nasty. Oh, it's real it was nasty. so good. <laughs> White yeah, T-shirt was my favorite too. Where mm -hmm. I was like grabbing a drink and I ran back to my seat as soon as I heard it. But I love everything to do with the Migos. I and, you know, that's kind of what I was talking about with, like, people coming out and starting, like, a whole new culture and, like, this new, like, niche in the market. I mean, Migos came out and blew people's minds with Bad and Bougie. I mean, they would already made so many records before that. But, mm -hmm. you know, these guys come out of nowhere and all of a sudden start this whole new kind of movement that, like, just blew people's minds and then back it up with a live performance that's awesome. It was so good. I was blown away by that show. I mean, and, and Drake Scorpion was not that good. I mean, <laughs> his performance was not that good. And some songs I was like, yeah, it's pretty good. But in all, I kept waiting for Migos to come back out. It was dry. It was a dry performance. It, it was like, I have to be here this night. 
this is what I get from you. From, uh, you're right. No, Scorpio. Scorpio was, uh, it was okay. Like, you know, with Migos walking like you talking. I mean, they were just, they were nailing every, they were nailing every song in that set. That's, it, you know, that, that's hard. That was hard to do as an artist where they bring the energy that every, every song was a personal experience. I mean, I, I, I give it to Migos, you know, Quavo and the rest of them. I mean, take off, you know, rest in peace, take off in that situation. I mean, it's, um, they were just so good as a group. You think about it. even you think about like when they did Versace. When Versace came out before everything else, I mean the energy from you know Atlanta's got its own like culture. You know it's yeah. funny the album's the name culture because they shaped, they changed hip hop at that point. You know they they're the reason why you got the little Uzi of the world basically because he's on he's on bad and bougie killing it on that song. Basically his energy on that song. I mean it's me. You listen to it. I mean, like, you know, you don't you don't get a lot of artists like that, to be honest with you, anymore lately. Like, the only other person I saw recently that was really good, like that, Vic Mensa. Oh, my God, Vic Mensa. I heard, yeah. The energy from him, like, uh, man, it's like, it, it's it's like tribal almost when he gets on stage. I mean, you know, there there's, you know, you can, you know, you can definitely hear, you heard a little bit with Chief Keith. You heard it with, like, Chicago Drill Music, as you probably know. It, it's either you love it or they're gonna tip the, they're gonna tip the stadium. <laughs> so yeah, yeah you know, I've heard. I mean, yeah, three six mafia was like that in concert. We saw them. I saw them in high school. I saw. I I got to see them uh, do tear the club up at USC Pavilion. I thought they're gonna tip the pavilion. I was just like, you know, you know, lyrically, they could have been saying they could have been saying anything on stage, but the way yeah. they said it is just the three six mafia back in the day. I saw them like that. I saw MJG and Eight Ball. Yep. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, you know the energy you get from them. Even today, the energy is crazy, man. But I do, I do get you on that, man. You go to some of these concerts, and just be like, "Wow, maybe want to buy a CD or buy, or buy, or buy some vinyl." Just what I just heard a couple minutes ago. I mean, like right now, I'm getting into like, um, like you know, you know, No Sage and I, you know, we were beating us fans, you know, back in the day. Still love the beating us. Then we got into, uh, you know, we got into a little bit of Don Carnegie Fat Joe. I've seen him live. It it depends. I mean, every every artist is so different right now. I mean, I just wish I'm just waiting for a little bit more Kendrick. Like Kendrick is pretty good live. He's pretty he's pretty damn good. I mean, I would say like um, his uh, his presentation and the the visuals. You know, I think I think some artists take it to another level. You know. <laughs> But I would say, like, you know, concert-wise, there's not too many people out there concert-wise. You know, I think Kendrick's pretty good. I've seen Kanye live. I've seen that situation. I mean, we saw him. Uh, the Soldier Field thing was nuts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, you know, I would say with him, it's the fact that he can bring people and make them collaborate. And then those artists go to that next level. It's yeah. like you, you see him trying to catch up with the artist, but you know, it's hard when you look at a producer trying to out rap a rapper, is almost impossible at this point. Like, you know, uh, Watch the Throne. Oh my god, that, that was incredible in live. Watch the Throne is uh, that was incredible. I mean, I would say, I mean, Jay Z is like a musical vampire, he sucks the energy of the artist next to him, he, he takes on their persona pretty much, he takes their whole cadence down, yeah. And that's what makes that's what makes him effective. And you know, as long as you keep young, as long as you keep that that new producer hype, and you bring in younger artists and put them around you, he's always going to find a way to step above them, basically, and make it and make it even nicer to hear. Yeah, that's why I think he 
collaborates so well is he kind of leans into that collaboration mm -hmm. and that's what makes it kind of like gel a little bit better. But again, one of the greatest rappers to ever do it. And, you know, mm -hmm. if you step into that stadium, you got to understand you're probably not going to be the best rapper on that song. That is true. I mean, like I saw, I saw Eminem do Godzilla. So that, that, oh man, Eminem, that's worth the concert experience. <laughs> yeah, is, I've heard. Man, that, that's worth seeing in person. I mean, at least one time. Even even at this stage in his career, basically, that energy is still there. I, I, he's the type of artist you need somebody to start a fight with him. It's almost like you speak his name like Candyman. He shows up and it's this angry dude on stage. You know, I, I've seen, I saw him first time, I saw him early college, you know, around the time, uh, the Martin, the Marshall uh, Mathis projects. And he was, he was tamer. And then somebody touched him and then he went to that next level. That's that person that you let him sleep and you just don't mess with him. You just don't say his name too yeah. many times. I just saw um, Juicy J this summer. And, uh, mm -hmm. You know, it's one of those guys where it's kind of the interesting dynamic of like Juicy J is not super hype. He's not super aggressive. It's a really mm -hmm. understated kind of rap, but mm -hmm. he just holds that attention. Everybody knows every word of every song. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's like a laid back control versus somebody like Eminem who's like really energetic and in your face mm -hmm. and like grabbing your attention where like, Juicy J sits back and takes your attention. It was a really great show. I mean, anything with A Ball and MJG, UGK is my all time favorite, Three Six Mafia. I mean, that's kind of what I grew up on. And it was amazing because he would do, he did probably 25 songs. In the middle of every third or fourth song, you'd take a break and all he'd say is, I got a lot of hits, man. I got a lot of hits. And that's the only thing he said. He didn't say a single word outside of that and then all of a sudden the song the last song ended they turned on the lights and he walked off stage i'm like that's iconic that is that's a superstar that's the kind of stuff that it's like the stuff of legends right like who does that oh yeah he's he's incredible i've seen juicy j i mean i would say like the funny thing is i remember seeing gucci man early in his career at the house of blues and he was probably the best opening act you know i mean you know, he did, you know, I saw him perform Lemonade, and I was just like, you know, they changed the lights, they changed the lights in the uh, House of Blues, you know, they, they went yellow lights in there, I'm like, because, you know, I didn't know, the, I didn't I didn't know that song like that at that point in time, I'm like, what's that piano in the background, you know, you're like, wow, that energy, man, and, you know, and the fact that, you know, he's one of those artists also, he puts the mic out there, and everybody knew the words of the song, because he was running underground for a little bit. But Lemonade Live, you know, you think about, um, you know, you think, you know, he, he's got a lot of heads. Migos got a lot of heads. Juicy J, 8-Ball and MJG got those heads. Even the bad boy years of um, MJG and 8-Ball is, is pretty nice. Don't Make Me Break, I've heard that live. That, that with, the, with the bad boy uh, production, oh, my God. It, it's not, it wasn't just the, it was their voice over the production that's just very venomous at this point. So it's hard. It's hard not to like certain artists. Like, you know, I, I met for a while, like, you know, with the South, sometimes you grow up in the Midwest, so the South becomes part of your culture. And then you got New York sitting over there in the corner. In New York, you take what you want from New York. And then you got the West Coast, which is its own vibe, you know, to be honest with you. You know, the West Coast, I always go out there like, you know, you listen to Zebra, you listen to Snoop, you listen to Kendrick. Dr. Dre drops something every 
eight, nine years. <laughs> so yeah, we, we're probably do for, we're probably detox. I don't think it's ever coming, but we're due for something on that on that platform. I listened to the Chronic 2000 the other day, and, and that album is revolutionary you know, from a production perspective. I mean, that thing that thing doesn't that thing ages well. It's always good to hear music that ages well. And you can play at any given time. You know that album. I I'll give like five more minutes, and then I gotta go. But and I can talk about this stuff all day. Yeah. Um, Dr. Dre, I think, is always super interesting because a lot of I mean, that was kind of like the beginning of when I was really getting into it, and, and my friend group. That's kind of the same thing. And it's interesting, like his production style, like the G funk sound. Not a lot of people know like the genesis of that and the P funk mm -hmm. sound and like how much he borrowed from Parliament Funkadelic and George mm -hmm. Clinton and how heavily influenced he was by that. If you hear him back to back, you're like, this is the same. This mm -hmm. is the exact same. And then, you know, he goes on to develop his own kind of sound that's a little deeper into his production style and what he's known for now. But before that, I mean, it was almost direct samples of George Clinton and, and Parliament. And it's just always interesting that, like, because it's a little older, because not that many people my age know a ton about funk from the 70s and how much that's influenced the songs that are immediately recognizable to us now. No, you're right about that. I mean, you know, the whole G-Funk era, I mean, you think about the mothership, and everything like that from uh, probably Funkadelic, George Clinton, Boosie Collins. Boosie, Boosie plays, Boosie, man, plays, well, he plays that guitar on some of those tracks in the background. Their whole persona was just so, it was so slick and fast, you think about it. I mean, Drake took that sound, you're right, like, he he made his own sound, because I, I go back to that, that last album, the Compton. That is incredible. That Compton album, I didn't like it. If, if You ever listen to something the first time? And you listening to it, but you rush listening to it. You hear it, but you don't hear it. I remember, like, I got stuck on the road between uh, Wisconsin. I was on two ninety four, stuck in traffic one one night coming back from work, and I was listening to Compton in the car. And I ended up loving that album because I was able, I was forced to sit in the car with it, and I turned it on. And I was like, "Wow, who's that in the background? That was, um, you know, who's that in the background screaming? Who's this singing on every track? It was Anderson Pack." That company album is an Anderson Pack like Hello to the World album, basically. You listen mm -hmm. to it, you're like Anderson is killing on Compton. And you know, you got, you know, Cube shows up on that album. It's a it's a real, it's a real Dr. Dre album. You think about that a lot of people today, you know, if you listen to it today compared to when it came out, it came out like uh, in 2015. That album is album's aging gracefully. And you see so many artists that got started on that album now have their own thing. Like Anderson Pack is is blowing up. He's connected with Bruno Mars. You know, his musical tree, Dr. Dre's musical tree is what I care about the most. The artists that's coming off his tree are all making hits at this point because they learned how to be an artist from that guy. Yeah, Anderson Pack is an incredible live musician too. I mean, he's got skills. That's not that's not just production. He can walk into a room and make it happen. I think that's like the thing I appreciate the most about like an actual artist. Yeah, his musicality is, is, is unmatched. There, you know, musicality is what I look for in these artists. And, you know, somebody just other than the rapper that can walk in, you know, can sing somebody else's song or do a cover for somebody. That that's a that's a talent of an artist to be able to cover another artist's song and do it just as just as good or better than that artist and then do their own version of what they want you to hear at that point.
It's incredible. But yeah, I know, I know you got things to do. We can talk, we can talk this all afternoon. I do. I, I'll talk all day <laughs> on this stuff. Yeah, Liam, I uh, definitely want to thank you for coming out. Yeah, we definitely we do another episode, man. I want I want to break down a whole album with you, basically, and get your get your feedback on different songs. Yeah, the Juicy J thing, you got me thinking. Uh, you probably gave me something to work and listen to this afternoon. Because I like the, you know, if I'm working on a firewall switch or I'm writing a project plan, I'm listening to hip-hop in the background. Or I'm listening to, uh, lately it's been corn and ice cube, fuck dying. <laughs> My wife's like, yeah. where does that come from? I'm like, listen to the song. That's that man. Fuck dying is awesome. So good. Yeah. I could go all day on uh, the State vs. Radrick Davis. is one of my favorite albums of all time. Heavy oh. is incredible. And then Lemonade, if you want to break down a song, man, I'll do it. That's We're talking about bass lines. Mm-hmm. Lemonade is unmatched, in my opinion. But it's been all cool right. talking to you. Uh, thank you so much for having me. All right. Thank you for, ha- thank you for having us, Liam, at this point. Yeah, definitely. Want to everybody go check us out. Everywhere podcast available. Check us out on Spotify. Go listen to something dope today. Thank you. See you later, Liam.